0: Hello, and welcome to another Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine, featuring interesting, inspiring, educational, and entertaining stories, discussions, and interviews of Purpose with Purpose on Purpose. Hello, everybody. This is James garian with On Purpose Magazine, and today we're speaking to the incredible Alexander Westgarth. How are you doing, Alexander?
1: Good morning. Very well. Um, cool. Yeah. Hi.
0: Hi. So surfer, we were just talking about you going out. and You lived You're in Venice, California. You went out surfing the other day. Uh, you're a Brit, a surfing Brit. That's pretty cool.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I'm. I'm. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really call myself a surfer yet. I'm trying. Trying to surf. I'm learning to surf. And. Uh, that's uh, that's that's just as fun. I mean, For me, that's just just being out there, and uh, it's a good place to sort of wind down and forget um, sort of all the the stress of of doing business, and just just relax out there for a little bit. Which is um, you, you yeah, I, just, uh, I really uh, love it.
0: Two years ago, I was in Maui, and I took a surf class. Never been, sur- I, I tried surfing before. I got all kinds of uh, horror stories. I've been, I finally got a and I was at that point where it was like, I was just with friends and they said, let's do it. And I was kind of burned out and I could care less. So I got out for the first time. And then Congratulations. I instantly yeah. got it. You know what I'm saying? I'm up there. Yeah. I'm, and I'm staying up and I'm going and I'm going, this is so freaking cool. How, <laughs> how wonderful. So I want to do it again. Yeah. But um, also, I understand I heard uh, somebody Said and it's hard to find your bio on, on uh, uh, around, but uh, you also a violin oh, yeah? maker or a violin player. I heard maker. Well,
1: yeah, both actually. Um, I my, my my younger brother's a composer. He studied to be a composer, so he's always had a um, a, a musical family and. Uh, brought up with a piano and, uh, no TV, no radio in the house, and so it was, uh, play the piano, play music, and sort of entertain myself. myself as I was brought up, and, uh, so I played the violin my, my whole, yeah, an hour a day as a young kid, and, um, then I, uh, I, I, I got into sort of the wine industry in my early 20s, and, uh, sort of come mid, mid-20s, I was, uh, yeah, a little bit confused what I wanted to do with myself, and, um, I hadn't had a degree, and, uh, I decided upon doing a, a violin making um, bachelor of science, and so I, I did that and uh, kept the, you know, the, the wine going at the side. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it was it was a challenge, really. That was that was what was fun about it. And um,
0: well, yeah, it would take the the artistry of making a violin. That to be intense.
1: Well, but the thing is, that, 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 yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually not, it's actually very scientific, it's, it's not very, um, there, there was a chap in my course that was, uh, he did, um, he's a lute maker, and he was, he was really just, he was a lot, you know, a proficient lute maker, and wasn't, I just built a couple of violins, really, but he, he was just sick of, of uh, making instruments, because there was no artistic qualities to it, you're simply following, um, you're trying to replicate historical instruments, and it's yes. it's all down to the, the millimetre thicknesses of different parts of the instrument, and um, there's not much artistic interpretation there really. It's more um, it's more just trying to copy it to an exact science, which is um, which is actually it's actually not that that tricky as long as you follow every single process and it's and do it very, very slowly.
0: It's yeah. And be slur about it, you know. Right, and that kind of
1: leads us into what, you know?
0: right. uh, yeah. what, you're, what you're what you're doing now. Because you, you you touched on it a second ago, and that is wine. Um, we're talking to yeah. um, uh, we're talking to um, Alexander Westarth, and your company's name is Westarth? <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah yeah i mean I, i'm incorporated with West Gulf wine investment brokers and uh we've got uh, doing business as Westgar just so it's slightly easier to uh right. um but yeah it, but basically um <laughs> well i was at my my um I'm in my thirties now' at my twenties um pretty much every every penny i've earned in my in my life as, as a as a young man has been involved in selling um the finest wines in the world as an asset.
0: And that's not because I don't think a lot of people really realize. um, Can you hear me better? I just put my microphone on that helps.
1: Yeah, I could hear you before, but yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, a lot of people don't realize that uh, wine is a a huge investment industry with um, some great returns, and and from the research I've done, great returns even when the stock market fell, and uh, so, I mean, It could be a vehicle that more and more people should be looking at. Is that true?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's... um, it's always been there as a vehicle of council growth, but it's kind of sort of been hidden. I mean, uh, it's been an aristocratical um, process of being able to purchase and drink your wines for free. I mean, that is how the market has originated, where, where these wines need to be aged uh, until they, re- they reach their optimum drinking. And uh, if you sell on half of those wines then, you can um, buy the, the next upcoming vintage and and so sort of roll this portfolio around it and get a free um become an alcoholic for free you know there you go. I, think,
0: and I, yeah. I think a lot of people uh, think that you buy a bottle of wine and then you put it away and that you collect but i understand collectors actually who are buying wine are actually buying in the case is that correct
1: yeah well i mean the you, you can i think i think over here um in america buying wine when it's young and storing it to drink is a a lot of people do it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge, it's a very big established market, and certainly in California. I mean, no one loves their wine here. Um, but when it comes time to reselling that wine that's been stored in your cellar, um, you can fall into difficulties if it hasn't been maintained properly. Right. Um, which is where the, the UK market is different, because you can trade wines in England um, before any taxes or duties have been paid on them. Mm-hmm. So... What what that means is that the government have to regulate these warehouses to make sure you're not taking wine in or out without paying a 20% tax. So you have a government authority making sure that the the warehouses are, you know, the the, the doors are opened or closed when they choose fit, you know. Whereas uh, over here, you hear horror stories of, of, of... you know, wine being bottled as something else, and um, and also horror stories of people looking after their wine and thinking they've got you know beautiful wine to drink, and then realizing that when it's opened, it's it's vinegar, right. and that, that's because it hasn't been maintained properly.
0: Well, yeah. With, and, uh, I know they have great wine storage lockers here in Southern California. I know that, and uh, but you—you you really, um, I think you recommend uh, a few lockers overseas that are your favorites. Uh, and is that because they're not really well, moved that much?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't. I mean, it, 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 just going from LAX to the locker facility in the summer in a in a three-hour traffic jam can ruin that that bottle of wine's life. Wow. You know, it, it, we live in the desert here, and uh, just a couple of degrees of movement um, in the temperature of the, of, of the bottle of wine can can, can damage it. Um, so, yeah, and there's also <laughs> uh, England, famous for its rain, of course. So we've got great humidity there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, but yeah, I mean, it's um, England has a, a, an 800-year-old history of, of importing wine from Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. Um, Eleanor of Aquitaine um, marries a English king, and England actually owned Bordeaux for 300 years. Mm. Um, and so that was back in, forgive me if my dates aren't perfect, but 12th century, 13th, 14th century, something like that. And so right from then, we, there was a, a relationship between um, English merchants and Bordeaux, and there is actually accounts of uh english wine merchants actually loaning money to to uh the kings and queens because they were very very wealthy at the time and it was uh it was the second most traded commodity after uh, after wool at one point i read so it was a it was a very established market <laughs> and uh, um and so we've always uh, you know in, in england there's always had these th- these relationships um with you know with Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. And um, it it's, it's about being, you know, having the access to the wines, you know, being able to get, get them, being able to buy them in, in their first tranche, you know, when they're first released and be able to get hold of them. And, um, but let um, me
0: ask you, because um, sometimes with, and I understand what you're saying, but sometimes when you're talking about wine investment, is it always about the quality of the wine as much as it is about uh, the name? Sometimes? <laughs> Gina, Especially
1: in the in the premium category. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a very valid question, and um, I, th- I think that that has shifted in the last decade. Um, Ten years ago, it was you know wines uh, sniffs and spits were um, were judged by Robert Parker Jr., your American wine critic over here, and mm-hmm. uh, he he could ru- ruin a chateau or make or break a chateau, um, and. That has kind of shifted recently. Um, the emergence of Asia's interest in the market has—it's has, basically turned to a more of a brand-driven driven market. And it was was brand-driven, but um, the the scores now are not quite so important as they were. But it's um, it's about working out the score in comparison to its price. Yes, and and, and, and I know.
0: There's a couple. Yeah. Uh, websites that you talk about—if uh, you might mention them—where um, uh, you can find out the wholesale and the retail costs of wine, when, especially when you're dealing with uh, looking at wines to um, to purchase as an investment.
1: Yeah. Um, well, there's there's one a website called Wine Searcher,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's Wine-Searcher.com, um, and that's uh, a website that basically. Um, that basically gives you all the prices of uh, merchants that have that particular wine for sale. So you Mm -hmm. you type in the wine, you type type in the vintage, and uh, it will show you where that wine is um, and who who has it and how much it's for. And then um, there's another website called LiveX, L-I-V-E-X, which is London International Vintage Exchange, which is an exchange for merchants to trade on. Um, and so you have to be a, a merchant with, um, with you know a history of books. You know you have to have two years books and uh, mm-hmm. recommendations of the industry to be um, you know to, to trade on, on the exchange. Um, but that allows you access to the stock of 400 or so merchants around the world, and uh, you can buy and sell at a, at a wholesale price there. So um, those those are two different exchanges and. Uh, the the Livis International the London International News Exchange has a sister a site called Seller Watch which you can actually join as a um, as an average punter. You don't need to be a, a wine merchant to join this to join this site. And and that is a um, a good place to go to check, you know, you can build a portfolio of your wines and, and they give you graphs of, you know, live prices of what your, your wines are. And as the prices are related to merchant trading, it's a good indication of what you'll be able to sell your wine for. Okay, so the, the wine searcher is the price that merchants are selling the wine for hmm. and the LiveX is the price that merchants are buying the wine for. And so there's a margin there and so you can expect to buy at the price that the merchants are selling their wine for and you can expect to sell at the price the merchants are buying their wine for so those that that's how you'd use those those two um, sources of, of pricing
0: and that kind of brings up the question cuz you talk about there are a couple a couple uh, things and that is number 1 uh britain seems to be the hub of all of a lot of wine investment in uh in in, in the world Definitely, and yeah. uh, number 2 that uh there may be if you're not to buying by the case, by the bottle, um, it, you can actually buy into funds like mutual funds or funds. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. There's a couple of funds and. Uh It's not something that I've really looked into. I mean, it's basically they're basically funds like any other fund where you they basically close the fund at a certain point, so everyone Mm -hmm. puts their money in. They close the fund and then they have X amount of money that they buy stock with. Um, And so, depending on the fund, I think you're charged like a, a an annual fee you right. money management fee. You'll be charged an exit fee, maybe an entrance fee, um, and you're tied in for a certain period of time. But yeah, definitely. And and what they would be doing is they'll be buying various cases of wine. Um, so the, the difference with that is um, we, 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 I mean our fees cl- 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 are very clear and, and transparent, and we just charge on the on the front end, and we. Um, we include an uh, introduction to the world's finest storage and insurance place, uh, which we mm-hmm. call Octavian, and we pay for the first 12 months there. Um, and so, let's just sell individual cases. So, you can make a decision yourself as an investor whether come five years, right, I actually need to release $10,000, or I need to – and you can you can do that. You're in complete control of your asset. You know, go, wait you know, I a actually, minute, I actually made a bunch of money. I want to drink a case of this. You can have it. <laughs> you can – you can have it imported and, and, and delivered to your home address. So that's, it, it's a lot more flexibility, um, and, uh, yeah, so you're much more in control of it. And you're not tied in, I mean, with the fund, because of the volumes they're buying, you are essentially riding the whole market. Right. Whereas with, um, you know, if you're buying individual cases, you can, uh, yeah, you know, you you can play play a certain part of the market, or you know. And d- d- am I understanding?
0: West, Westgarth Wine Investment Brokers, can you help your clients with those funds, or just the knowledge of them, or, you, or can you run people? Yeah, to,
1: you know? that's not. No, that's not that's not what we do. No. Okay. No. Let's get into what I mean, you do do. Yeah. So basically, we would um, highlight wines that we feel are are undervalued.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then we. We purchase them and uh, you know, and pass them on to clients, or all the other way around. I mean, once you've got, once we have um, clients that have confirmed they wish to purchase them, then we, then we secure them. Um, and through our our connection, I mean, I, we, we, I've been in the industry for about a decade, so I know a whole bunch of. Um, you know, powerful importers in the UK. I've got contacts with négociants in France because négociants are the people that actually get to first sell the wine. So the châteaux yeah. don't actually sell the wines themselves. So the négociants sell them, um, and then they they get shipped over to England.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's the importers that will import huge quantities from the negotiations. So you, sometimes you get better prices from them. And so, with, with, with our connections there, we can then we first highlight wine that we feel is undervalued, and we we'll do that by either a price per Parker score or a price per a score. So you basically get the price, you divide it by the score, and uh, and you basically want the the least the least number. Um, so that's sort of one very elementary sort of way of highlighting a a, a case. And then there's different factors. Obviously, you want um, a, a classic vintage year, and going to be slightly more expensive. Right. Um, we're, we're only focusing on the top five Bordeaux wines at the moment. Uh, and what are those? The markets, the markets undervalued. So in 1855, mm-hmm. um, Napoleon III show wanted to um, categorise Bordeaux, and so that he could showcase it for the Great Exhibition, which was okay. where the Eiffel Tower was launched, and and. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a great exhibition showcasing France, the world. And it was judged by merchants of the time on quality and price. Um, the, the, the Bordeaux was, was divided into growths, and there was five of them. So there's first growth, second growth, third, fourth, and fifth. And the first growths were the, the best wines, and the fifth growths were... The least overall wines so uh, at that time they actually divided they actually categorized the left the left bank of uh, of Bordeaux. the right bank at that time wasn't did, wasn't producing wine caliber enough um, so they produced they only produce, they, they categorized the left the left bank and um, there was four first growth wines then so there was marga Tour, aubrion and um, Latour, aurien and the feet, mm-hmm. the top four, um, and then the, the, there's one wine that's been Hello? upgraded into a fifth grade. Sorry, hi, sorry. can you hear me?
0: Cut, yeah, you got cut off for a second.
1: Oh Go yeah, ahead. hi, sorry. Um, so then there was um, there's one, one one that's actually been upgraded since then, which is the Mouton Rothschild. And that was because uh, they they petitioned for about 50 years trying to get it upgraded, and they commissioned famous artists of the period to do the labelling, so Picasso, Warhol, Dali, and a whole bunch of people since then have actually produced the label for for the Mouton. So Mouton's got this antiquity value with with famous artists having having done the label. So those are the five first-growth wines. So -hmm. you've got Margot, Mouton, le Letourne, and Lafitte. And um, they are so established as being the very best wines in terms of a a strong financial return, they actually have their own index on the London International Vintage Exchange. It's called the LiveX50. And the LiveX50 tracks those five wines over the last ten vintages. And so that that, becomes, that creates the fifty, the 50 wines, and um, that tends to way outperform the LiveX100, which which tracks the, the top hundred wines. Um, so the market's actually come down over the last eighteen months. Um, so right now we're focusing on those, those five first growth wines. Mm-hmm. Um, had had the market been high? we would then look for other wines that were undervalued, and we would not focus on the first course quite so much. Okay. Um, But certainly for for, for a first foray, that is definitely where where you start. I mean, there's there's no no question whatsoever about that.
0: But in those wines, um, as I've been reading from returns, um, uh, returns Mm -hmm. since 1950 overall, 15%. Um and you know, and that's up and down, but that's that's since nineteen fifty, um, averaging fifteen percent. But in the larger yeah. wines the, the top premium wines you're talking about, uh and the and the top fifty, uh, the the returns can be much more. So, uh you say the market's down now, but uh, we're talking um, <laughs> uh that yeah. the wines have has moved up in such a short time, so high, that the, the drop is probably in, Is it significant or insignificant, do you think?
1: Well, I mean, the, the main drop over the last 24 months has been feet, And some of those have come down about sort of 50% in price, mm. um, which means you need to see 100% return for them to get back to where they were. Right. Um, but to um, just put that in, in perspective... The the Lafitte two thousand and eight um was released at three thousand one hundred dollars and traded at twenty thousand dollars two years later. Yeah. So there's multiple hundreds of, of, of percent in, in in a couple of years.
0: So unless you're buying and holding you're okay. Yeah,
1: that's 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 what I tell to that's what I've tell to everybody. I say, you know, if you're comfortable to hold for the hold the wine for three to five years. Mm-hmm. The chances are extremely good that you're going to make money. If you buy this wine today and turn around in three months and go, Alex, I need this money back out of the market. I can't promise you that we're going to be able to sell it at you know at a profit. But are if there, you're
0: comfortable holding for? I think. Uh, um, are there people that uh, love to just, uh, I, for lack of a better term, day trade their wines? Yeah,
1: I mean, I you know, no, <laughs> day, day trading doesn't exist, I mean, no, it, it doesn't, I mean, so some people might come in and out within sort of six months or so, but, um, right. yeah, I mean, just put in perspective, um, the, the 2009 vintage was regraded by, by Parker, and um, it was an amazing vintage when it was in the bottle, and uh, it actually added 100 million... Pounds to the value of the vintage by his regrading, mm-hmm. um, but he graded the wines, and it took about two months before that 100 million was added. So although the the, the scores were out that that one evening, it took a few months for the prices to.
0: So sort of yeah, the so holding is
1: much smarter.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I mean the, the market is
1: changing, and we have got this this London Intercontinental Exchange now where you can. Um, you know, well, merchants can sort of buy and sell on a platform, um, but you can't—you you can't do that. You can't trade on a platform like like you can on, you know, with, with other assets. So there's no—it—it it, it, it takes a longer period of time. You know, you have to—it's a slower process. You have to wait for the wine to be delivered, and it takes, it's longer,
0: yeah. So well, let me ask you this, because um, please, since wine is—if a if we're we're looking at wine as a commodity, correct? Yeah, yeah. So um, can you do futures?
1: Well, yes. Futures in wine has actually got a different sort of its own terminology. Um, a future in wine is actually known as en premier in Europe. Mm-hmm. And that is when you're buying wine whilst it's still in the barrel. And so you're actually buying it. But you're not buying futures in the sense that you would buy uh, another financial asset as a future. You're not. So there's no system in place where you're promising to buy this asset at that price. Mm-hmm. That's, that doesn't exist. It's actually called futures, only in America, actually, but the rest of the world is called on premier, where you're actually buying wine while it's still in the barrel, but you're not going to get it until it's bottled, Great. which is 18, 24 months later. Mm-hmm. Um, so you purchase is, is the it, reason purchase.
0: for doing that getting it at a much more desired rate possibly than when it's already bottled because now it's a given yeah. when it's in the bottle that it's going to be much more stable than when it's in the when it's in well, a oh exactly
1: right? yeah yeah you, you you hit the nail on the head um it, it the, the aging process is is more rigorous in the barrel and the wine changes more mm-hmm. so. You've also got the, the critics still out, and they don't really know exactly <laughs> when what what the quality is going to be.
0: Right. But
1: it's you know it's um, every year the chaffiers are trying to sell their wine for as much as they can. <laughs> and so there's this conflict of the merchants buying the wine or or snubbing it, and every year that there's that there's that same battle going on. So it's how cheap are the, are, are the negotiations that we 're releasing the wine for and and waiting for the critics to give their score and then the critics tend to score the wine um, i mean robert parker who's he 's kind of aging now, but he he 's definitely the the, the world 's most influential critic um, and he he would score the on premier it's basically released around now, right now the 2012 is being released. Mm-hmm. So it was, the, the grape was grown in 2012. It's been, um, it's been in the barrel since, you know, the, the, a few months now. Um, but it's actually being big, big up, big up for sale as we speak. And last week there's new Shatters releasing that on Premier. And so, Parker School hasn't been re- released yet on the, um on the 2012, so this year they're actually releasing the wine before the scores come out, which is right. always a bit scary. <laughs> you know, you know that it's not a great vintage when they do that.
0: No, <laughs> but, and it can still change yeah. on you, you, you can't I, hang it, your hat on that. Exactly,
1: yeah, and then so ne in 12 months' time, so Park, Rob Parkinson will release the scores any day now,
0: or he might actually, yeah,
1: any day now, and then um, he will release them again in 12 months. And then when they're bottled in 24 months, you have a bottle score, and those scores can change, and, uh, and thus the value, the value can change as well. Um, so yeah, it's certainly part of a of a portfolio to buy to buy on promoted by futures. But right. what we found over the last the last recent years is that they're coming up more and more expensive. So you can uh, 2012 is a bad example because it's actually very fairly priced, but. Um, you you can actually often buy old wine that's ready to drink at less value than than wine that's coming out in in on and Futures. So it's a question of, for me, it's a question of finding wines that present value and will rise in value. Well, that's why we want
0: to talk to Alexander. Yeah. Uh, You, Alexander, because, well, I like what you do anyway, because I, I always think that, I mean, whether I'm in wine market or any market, I'm looking for the, I'm looking for those undervalued opportunities. Yeah. I mean, there's,
1: there's, there's, there's two ways of buying wine. You can either buy, like, a momentum purchase where a wine is doing really well and, and you buy into it because everyone's going crazy about it, or you can find something that presents value. And I, I, I tend to see better returns by, by going for the, the least. I, I I like to find first-growth wines that are scored 95 or above points by Parker that mm-hmm. are from the, the last decade. I don't want wines that are 20 years old. Because they're getting old now, you know. I want wines that are five, six, seven, eight years old, um, and find the least expensive, first, you know, option there, mm-hmm. and and that and that's where we find that the best the best return. But wine, if you if you just think about, about wine as an asset and, and how it can relate to a portfolio, um, by by buying these these, these very top wines in the world, these, these top Bordeaux's, you're guaranteeing yourself that the people that, that drink the wine at the end are very wealthy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And typically, wealthy people have a very stable lifestyle. Yes. So, so typically, it, it, these people always have the money to do so. And so you, you're playing a wealth disparity.
0: You're, you're playing, uh, you're speculating that the wealthier then going to get wealthier. Well, according um, to <laughs> everything I've read, the wealthier are are always getting wealthier, and uh, that's not going to change very anytime soon.
1: Well, the, yeah, I mean that that is what that is what this market is. It, it, it's it's um, basically take you know getting your hands on something that the the world's wealthiest want, right. and. Uh, that that is why it's so stable, in my view. I mean, I think that's why it's such a, and that's also why it tends to be relatively unattached by, you know, by economical conditions. Well, let me, um, let me talk.
0: Um, oh, go ahead. I'll let me. will let you finish your thought. know
1: please. No, fine. No, that was it. Yeah.
0: Okay, so what I was going to ask you is because there's a couple questions I want to delve into real quick here. Please. So we're yeah. talking about that, and the first one that you you kind of bring to surface is, well. Okay, well that's great. You know, another another investment I can't get in because I don't have enough money. But I understand that this is not, uh, even though you're ta- you're playing a rich man's game with the top wines in the world, um, we're not we're not talking about coming in at a million dollars. How, how 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 cheaply, yeah. or how inexpensively can you get in? Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, well,
1: yeah. No, exactly. I mean, there's you know, can you afford to invest in it or can you afford to drink it? You know, that's a different. <laughs> Wealth level, you know. Right. You're, you're, you're talking of buying cases, of 12 cases, between five and $10,000. That is ideally what you want to be spending on cases for, for purchasing.
0: Okay.
1: Um, you can spend more. You can spend less. Um, but that is typically where, uh, you know, in the current market conditions, where the best opportunities lie
0: within that remit. And this is where so, you work with your clients, right? You know what your client yeah, tolerance is.
1: Yeah well it's it's a it's a five to ten thousand dollar investment and it's a question with my clients of how many you know cases of that wine they want to purchase you know right. if they want to purchase one case it's a five to ten thousand dollar investment and that's, that's that's quite a standard kind of investment level if you If you want to drink a thousand dollar bottle of wine that's a whole different wealth level right i mean that's right. you have to be you have to be rich to to
0: or
1: have a very rich friend who's
0: very generous. Yeah, or a very rich palate, yeah. <laughs>
1: a very expensive habit. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's a five ten dollars $10,000 um, entry level. And um, I, I've got clients that have got, you know, $20,000 in the market. I've got clients that have got half a million and, and more dollars right. in the market. And so it's a question of, uh, I mean, I I think it's important to realize that, as I mentioned before, it's not an overnight market. It's a three, five, ten-year hold. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, as long as you're comfortable to put your money away for three to five years, it's a market that's got a history of being very, very stable and producing very, very good returns. Um,
0: Any tax advantages
1: at all to speak of? The, 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 yes, slightly, but, but, not, but not for America, unfortunately. Okay. It, it, in the UK, it's exempt from capital gains tax, mm-hmm. which is another reason why the market has flourished there. Um, so, because wine is deemed to be perishable under 50 years, um, it's, it's not taxable. It's a wasting asset. Now, I'm, I'm really, I'm not a tax expert at all, um, right. but from what I understand, it's uh, as you know. Obviously, that's something that you, as a client, have to. Have to um, you know you have to, uh, I'd admit to and, and uh, register yourself to you know to, to uh, your tax liabilities, um, but understand that you that you have your, your normal capital against tax. Um, you, have to, you have to pay unless you've got some really sneaky accountant somewhere that, that somehow set you up as an entity in the UK. But there you go. I, <laughs> I don't know anything about that. It's not... <laughs> well, say,
0: you, you said your disclaimer, Alexander,
1: <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to disclaim quite, quite clearly. That's no, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's not, it's not my remit. Okay, I can... So I, things... I can uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. You can... What? Yeah, no, I mean, what, what, I, what, I, can, what I can do is I can, I can highlight wines that are undervalued and wines that
0: uh,
1: I feel that we feel that the market, the analysts, that the industry feels will, will make you money. And that—that and yeah. that is what. Well, that's what I can do. That's what I've got history of doing. very uh, good. Tax nothing to do with me.
0: <laughs> and then the, and the other thing you brought up, and I just wanted to touch on. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, and that is because wh- wh- where you dealing is um, is in those top wines. Um, yeah. But the, you know, everybody was going to a- Everybody's going to ask or wondering, I'm sure. Okay, what about? I mean, the wine industry has is, has grown a billion fold in the last few years. Uh, last few decades, especially California and, you know, um, wine. Yeah. Why, um, why are you not dealing in those wines, and why is the, is there an industry there, but you're, you're just not playing in it, or what, what's going on? Yeah, but there is an industry there. Um, an investment industry, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, no, there is. I mean,
1: if you look at Screaming Eagle and Opus One and the price history mm-hmm. of those wines, you'll find that some of the wines doubled in value. Some may have gone up two, three times in value, if you look at Lafitte Rothschilds, you can find examples where it's gone up ten thousand percent twenty thousand percent right and so it, 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 there's no comparison there for me the The returns are not the same as they are in the top Bordeaux wines right and, and so that that is why uh, you know in they certainly begins just to creep in. I mean, from as I said, as I mentioned, the LiveX, uh, the LiveX 100. I think you'll find about one percent of the of the wines um, are, are, are Californian. So it, it would be the Opus One or Screaming Eagle. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, the problem with those wines for us to invest in is they have very low production levels. So you've got 1,500, you know, you've got very low production levels, case productions. So you've got to get hold of the wines, you know. So it's all very well me saying, right, invest in them, but if I can't get them for you, um, (laughs) you can't can't invest in them, you know. Right. Um, Whereas, (laughs) and with the defeat, you've got 20,000 cases a year. You know, you've got right. much larger production levels, and you've you, you've got a world brand. Whereas Californian wines are, are very much still um, predominantly just just an American consumer base. You know, unless unless you really are a wine connoisseur, and um, yeah, I mean, the chances of finding a Screaming Eagle in a in a in a restaurant in in
0: Shanghai or something
1: are, are quite quite
0: slim. You know. <laughs> No, a little
1: better in Vegas. Yes, in Vegas and, and uh, here in LA, or yeah, I mean. Yeah. So I mean, it's it, 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 so, for me and, and for West Coast Wines, it's about being very confident that we're not going to lose money. Basically, right. we, we want to go for assets that have a proven track record of making money, that have been doing it for decades. Um, and then, by, by going into those wines, we have our, every best intention and, and proof that we were doing the, the right thing
0: by, by going into
1: them. Um, by, you know, by, it kind
0: of sounds like Westgard, um, wine investment brokers, is just really want to work smart and not hard, huh?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, there's no there's no point trying to reinvent the wheel and find the next thing. And, uh, and don't get me wrong, I, mean, I have clients that, as I mentioned, that have, you know, half a million in the market. And now, you know... They're getting bored of hearing hearing me say let's buy some feet, you know. And so I'm um, <laughs> trying to trying to get get them in with something up and coming and something that's that's less expensive. You've also got got the factor that you're paying storage insurance per case, right? right per percentage of the value of, of of the case, right? So if your case is ten thousand dollars and storage insurance is is twenty dollars a year, it's it doesn't make any difference, really. But if your case is $200 a year and your storage insurance is, sorry, if your case is $200 and storage insurance is $20 a year, you've got to make 10% on that case to break even. Right. So that's, no. that's another factor.
0: Right.
1: Um, no, that makes another factor with, with, with Napa is that you haven't actually got the history of these wines living for for centuries, living for 50 years, living for, they haven't got the same, the same history as some of the Bordeaux have of actually drinking well in 50, 60, 80 years, you know?
0: Okay, I'm, I'm gonna throw uh, one on you. I'm gonna throw one on yeah. you here. Uh, the, you know, people all the time are bringing up wine with a cork, and they've only been corking wine for the last, uh, uh, not even 200 years, right? But, uh, cork wine or uh, or, or metal cap. <laughs> uh, there's, there's been some controversy that, uh, that the cork is not as good as the cap. But, uh, nobody wants to buy, uh, a, a decent bottle of wine without a cork in it because it just, uh, it, 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 I mean, you probably don't feel like you're getting a real bottle of wine. Well, what do you think? What have you
1: heard? Um, I, I, I just leave that uh the decision of the people that make the wine. I mean, I, I I'm not. I, I don't know. To be honest, I, I, I really try and not not be an expert in wine, but more just an expert in the price of the wines. Right. Okay. To be an, to, to be an expert in, in, the, in the different wines is a whole is a whole minefield.
0: So if the and wine with uh, the cap on it is 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 the, is the good buy, you don't care.
1: Well, uh, the, the wines I sell, we would never have a cap on them. Right. I've never <laughs> come across that. No, I mean that that is the yeah i mean the the cork is a commodity that is actually rising in value very it's an expensive commodity cork um, yeah. it costs it costs a lot of money so so that mm-hmm. that is why yeah um it is something that's it, over the last you know five ten years has become a lot more expensive so um, yeah that is controversy there i mean it's um it's easier to open isn't it you know yeah. When you
0: forget your corkscrew, that's, that's annoying, right? You haven't got a corkscrew, you're trying to... <laughs> oh, we Believe me, we have found a way, one way or another, to get into those corks. <laughs> you say, yeah. get a little cork in your wine. You. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> Certainly. A bit of fiber. Um, so you've been,
0: been there, done that, right? I, yeah, I, I won't admit it, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, yeah. Uh, you... uh let's see uh west west Carth wine uh, investment brokers i'm guessing you guys are located in los angeles right
1: yeah we we we're, we're in venice we're in venice california so we're we're in la by the coast in la um, yeah yeah we are in los angeles and
0: how can we get a hold of you uh, what's the what's the what's your dot com what's your phone number
1: yeah well there's um you can call us on our our phone number which is 310 310- Nine four three nine double three six. So I'll say that again. Three one zero nine four three nine double three six. Mm-hmm. I mean, you actually don't say double over here, do you? So it's nine three three six is what I should say. Uh, I've <laughs> got in trouble with that before. So nine three three six. Um, and the the, uh, the website is westgarthwines.com. W e s t g a r t h wines.com. Um, And that's, yeah, so basically wine is is an asset that is tangible, so there's no inflationary concern on it. It's a wine that's Mm -hmm. consumed by the world's wealthiest, so it's got a very stable demographic. You can't borrow money on wine, so there's no incumbent debt. Wine is an asset that you can essentially transport between currencies, between countries. It's not tied into any... Uh, any currency, and wine, compared to other similar assets, improves with age to a certain degree until it gets old and doesn't improve anymore. Um, and it depletes in stock,
0: so it it
1: uh, becomes rarer and rarer. And uh, Bordeaux is um, governed by by laws that restrict the châteaux from expanding their vineyard acreages. Acreage. Right. So you've got a finite quantity, a limited supply, and as the demand increases, uh, for these wines, as the population increases, as the, the wealthier get wealthier, um, the, the prices tend to go up, they do go up, they have a history of going up, you know, consistently, um, and then you've got the fact that the, 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 the supply is decreasing. So those are the qualities of, of investing in wine and um it it can be a great diversification to uh, to
0: a portfolio. Well let me ask you and I wanna I don't want to end on a sour note, um but okay. um there has been a few cases of some pretty um in the press media uh wine fraud. And yeah. uh you know, Koch just uh you know, won a case, and uh, there was another guy who was uh, selling wines that did, did, um, didn't even <laughs> didn't, were fraudulent and didn't even exist. And you mentioned earlier that some places were um, in trouble for selling something that uh, was filled with something else. Who, who knows? But um, yeah, in dealing with those top wines, I'm guessing you guys don't have to deal with those, those fraud cases very often. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, in terms Cause, of the because I heard it was in terms, some of the brands that you never were talking about.
1: Well, Petrus was the one that Koch was dealing with, which is, uh, again, one of the top eights. You got, so you basically got those, those top five wines, and then you've got Petrus, Cheval Blanc, and Orson and that, and, and those amount to the big eight, and they're known as the big eight. So with, with, with Koch, he, he was buying an old wine. Um, He was buying a wine that was, I can't remember when it was, but it was, you know, many decades old. And that's really not where where I'm dealing in. What what we deal in is wines that are, as I said, under 10 years old, so that you can sell them on again. And and when when buying in the UK in, in bond system, you can see who initially imported the wine. Mm-hmm. And so you have a, 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 you know, you know what, what the company was, and if it's one of the, the huge companies that initially imported it, you know it's the genuine article. Um, or if you buy it directly from France, from from the Gaution, you know it's the genuine article. Right. Um, so that that is that is one one way that we combat the um, the you know make, making sure you get the right wine in there. Um, and we we would never sell wine over over 15 years old. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's
0: yeah. where all the so, fraud came from from very, very old wines. Yeah, well, that's yeah that that is that is where. I mean, there's
1: two types of fraud in the wine industry. There's the the fraud where you actually um, have a, a fake label mm-hmm. on the bottle, like like this case, and then there's the fraud where people actually think they're getting possession of the wine that actually don't own it. Oh. and that. Yeah, and, and that is that that often happens during futures or on premier where because the wine is not delivered um, until it's bottled, you could buy it from a company, and if that company liquidated in that 24 months, you'd never get your wine. Wow! So that that is something to be to be aware of. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're we're just very careful from from who we buy our futures from. Um, we actually just buy them purely from from Bordeaux. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, ma- it makes no sense to, to operate like that, you know. It's, uh, I, it's about the, no, yeah, you?
0: I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, that's why we I brought you that, on yeah. today, Alexander. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, this is such an, in, you know, mo- so uh, we talk to a lot of investment people. We do talk to a lot of business people. And, you know, to be honest with you, a lot of them, you know, it's the same old boring stuff. So when we got into this when we got a chance to speak to you about wine, it's like wow, that's new. And I just think a lot of people really, really know. What's well,
1: available. thank you for ha- ha- thank you for having me on. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm very excited to be to be over here doing this. We, we are one of, one of the very first companies in America offering access to this market. And uh, you know, worst case scenario, you can drink the stuff. You know. <laughs>
0: yeah. You, well, you were saying earlier that this <laughs> all came derived from a guy who wants to to. Uh, Drink a great ha, a great wine, so he'd buy two cases, sell one, and then he'd get his wine for free, right?
1: Exactly. I
0: mean, and, and that's and
1: and, and that, that, that's certainly what you can do. There's, there's a company called Seabrooks, who are a specialist um, international wine um, import, like the delivery service. Mm-hmm. You can build up a, a portfolio in the UK um, where it's got the perfect provenance in terms of when you want to sell it on again, it it will fetch. guaranteed market price without anyone having to look at the bottle and and see whether it's been maintained properly. And your wine will be stored in in Octavian alongside $1.5 billion of wine, um, which is the world's premier wine storage facility. Um, And then if you wanted to deliver that wine, you can simply ring up Seabrooks and say, um, hi, can I please have wine delivered to my, my address in... Wherever you live. And uh-huh. uh within a couple within a couple of weeks that case of wine would have left your your, your account on Octavian. It would be imported in, in the proper conditions um, and it would have all the documentation and importation would be delivered to your front door. And, and
0: Octavia cost, doesn't uh, need uh Octavia doesn't need uh electrical refrigeration backup. I understand it's deep underground and
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean what they do have uh electricity for is humidity. Right. They um, they control humidity, um, but yeah, I mean it's it's a hundred a hundred foot below ground in, in stone, so you've got the the very constant ideal temperature down there, right. and there's no there's no UV light down there, and there is there's no vibration down there, which, which set this place uh, aside, and
0: it's it's widely deemed as the best
1: storage facility in the
0: world. I mean, wow let me so, ask you uh for yeah. you guys just to um just to give people an idea when you guys get involved yeah. is there uh an upfront fee or you take a a a percentage of of the of the uh, trade how do you guys work
1: yeah i mean our fees are all all upfront we charge um
0: we, we make it very
1: clear we charge 10 or 15% depending on on the size um and that is basically the, the industry margin, so you'd be buying the price of the wine that other merchants would be selling at, so you'd be buying a merchant price, and we would, would try our hardest to, to get that at the very best price, so the, the wholesale margin between wholesale and, and merchant price is, is a 10-15% price, um, but the way our paper works is that we, we state very clearly what we bought that wine for, mm-hmm. and, we, and we state very clearly what our fees are and uh, with with that we'd then um, include the first 12 months storage insurance in in Octavian and after that you'd be responsible for paying that yourself which would be um, which would be about $20 $20 a year per case and then when it it comes time to sell we would simply sell that for you Um, that that
0: was my next question uh, yeah 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 Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I, as a you know, for us it's very important to have access to these wines and knowing where they've been and who's had them. So we were we, we were so happy to have clients that have held the wines that we sold them five years ago. We know exactly where the wines have been. We and we can sell those on to another client now. You know, right. um, so, so that. That that's important for us. You don't, you're not obliged to sell the wines back to us, but it's uh, we very much like to have the ability to to buy those wines back from you. That's that, that's an important part of our process is is retaining um, as large a pool of these wines as possible. Um, so then our you know our clientele grow rich as the rest of the people in the world are drinking them.
0: Well, that's great. Again, uh, you're that's West uh, Westgarth. Um, Wine
1: Yeah, so W-E-S-T-G-A-R-T-H, Wines, with an S, W-I-N-E-S, dot .com. And the phone number again uh, is 310... Yeah, so we got, got 310-943-9336. So 310-943-9336. Or you can even, uh, even give us a free phone number on 855-345-3844. But 310... Um, mine je three one nine
0: four three nine three six very good and this is j W the with on first magazine speaking to Alexander Westgarth. Uh, Alexander, thank you so much for your time today and the interesting topic and uh, if you if you're looking for a very interesting investment um a sta as uh, Alexander said, quite stable interesting uh the the buy in is not outrageous but uh the demographic for the payback uh, it looks pretty pretty sharp and uh you know i make no we make no claims for returns and neither does alexander but it's just i think an very interesting thing to look in uh, especially when typical returns nowadays are if you're you're lucky to get 3% so it's something something to look at mm-hmm. um Alexander, again, thank you very much. I really appreciate your thank time Thank
1: you. Today. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. And, uh, thank you very much, J.W. Hey, no problem. Anyway, everybody, uh, again, J.W. New Jersey with On Purpose Magazine. Uh, I want to wish everybody a great day and an even better tomorrow. Thanks for Thank you for listening to our Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine. You can find On Purpose Magazine at onpurposemagazine.com. On Purpose Magazine and J.W. On Purpose is the property and is the trademark of Meta Media Group, and this audio is copyright 2012, and all rights are reserved.